This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. We're talking television today. My name's James Manning. I'm the editor of Media Week. Joining me as usual, Andrew Mercado, um, Media Week contributor and North Coast um, cinema (laughs) operator, if you'd uh, listened to our last uh, podcast. We might have a quick update of what's happening up on the Southwest Rocks at the end of the podcast. Fantastic. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks, James. What's been catching your eye lately? Well, you know, I've been fascinated by Sunday night ratings, you know, because for years and years and years it's been so predictable. Channel 7 have been sweeping the night on the back of My Kitchen Rules at the start of every year. And this year we've finally got some movement at the station. Uh, Married at First Sight just keeps growing and growing. My Kitchen Rules fell below the magic million mark for the first time ever last Sunday night. Fascinating, isn't it? Fascinating to watch. But then, of course... At 8.30pm, for the last couple of weeks, you know, we've been astounded by the fact that neither 60 Minutes or Sunday Night could beat the British drama screening on the ABC. They've won the time slot with Midsummer Murders and then they won the time slot with Vera starring Brenda Blethyn and who could have predicted that? Mm. But I do note that last night... Channel 7 came back on top. Despite not winning the time slot with My Kitchen Rules, losing to nine, the audience came to them at 8.30pm, which is really interesting because they were running some Princess Di thing. Yeah. And does Di still pull the viewers? Yes, she did. They won the time slot. They called it. They branded it too, didn't they? Like a Sunday night um, special event or something. Yeah, right. As did 60 Minutes at the start of the year when they did the Joanne Lee story. They branded that the Joanne Lee story and not so much 60 Minutes and they won that time slot. So there's no audience loyalty anymore for these current affair shows. Let's be quite clear here. It's all about your content. If you've got a really huge story that you can rebrand as we're seeing them doing you've got a good chance of getting in there but if you're just doing your regular stories there's a pretty good chance that the abc might sneak up from behind and 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 slam you yeah absolutely i I thought it was pretty clever of seven i think melissa doyle was intro the show from outside kensington palace so it was um they'd gone to a bit of effort you know i think the viewers like that why why die out of the blue like this well i think it was 20 Year twenty, celebrating the twentieth anniversary, which just happens to be sometime in this year of her year. death. Yeah, I presume so. Right, which is I think in August when she actually died. <laughs> right, so, so they're getting ahead of the rush. They're getting in like. early, but hey, we're not but laughing because be of a one. bunch of stuff though. Presumably. later in the year, yeah, and maybe they'll even do another one. If you know, if this is, if this one's worked so well, yeah, or you'd be looking at to pick out other significant events, wouldn't Absolutely. you? Absolutely, whether it's five year anniversary, 10, 15, 50, whatever, you know. Well, you know, that sort of stuff does really well. And yes. Princess Diana is always going to be an audience draw card. And, yeah, I would imagine we'll see some other networks deciding to mark that 20-year anniversary of her death early as well. Yeah. Now the race will be on to see how much else they can squeeze out of it before the actual day. Yeah, with some of the old familiar faces, the you know usual suspects. But what was interesting is seeing these people now, as we've seen them all, you know, talking after the death, maybe at the 5th and 10th anniversaries, and now we get to see them as they are today. So judging from what I saw on TVs with the sound down in a cafe this morning, cafe this morning it looks like Melissa Doyle interviewed James Hewitt 
Correct. Who yes. is rumoured to be the father of Prince Harry. Yes. And I could and see she asked that question. She did. Yes. What and did he say? <laughs> I didn't see that. But, <laughs> but I'm presuming it was in the negative. I'm presuming Given there's so no too. headlines yeah, about exactly. Harry's real father <laughs> exposed by Melissa Presumably so. on Sunday night. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But um, I know in the promos they were using her asking that question then it just went to silence. So yeah. You, you think, oh, have I got to tune in? But yeah. I think most people... People could probably work out why well, he's going to say he's not. But yeah, uh, it was good to pose the question, I guess, because you have that's to ask the one it. The that audience everybody is, wanted yeah. to hear, wasn't it? You, know? you have to ask it. Um, married at first sight. Yeah, look, the three most watched shows on TV last week were the three episodes. It was only on three times. Yep. So all three episodes did very well. It's beaten. Um, I think it's beaten My Kitchen Reels on the three of the four nights they've gone head-to-head on Sunday this yep. year. Yep. So just fantastic performance. The only program, I think, to ever beat um, My Kitchen Reels in the past has been um, The Block. Wow. And, the, and then again, it was some special episodes, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, um, Look, yeah. all power to Channel 9 for taking a format that maybe had eight episodes a series eight one-hour episodes, and, you know, they talked about, they used the word supersized it, and they really have. They've got the experiment running, what is it, three months or whatever. It's a lot more content. They're mm. squeezing every last drop out of it, and well well done them for actually making what is a, a fairly simple concept and introducing all these new elements. I know the newspapers are saying, oh, they stole an element from this reality show and they stole an element. I mean, that's what all television does all the, the time, the doesn't it? The viewers give a toss either. No. <laughs> as long as they're enjoying it. That's exactly it right. Matter where it came from. Yeah. You know? um, the crowd favourite, I think, undoubtedly, is uh, Cheryl. Yes. I think she's been, she's been, so second relationship now has just fallen apart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I'm trusting the producers all – I didn't see all of last night, so I presumably she hasn't been written out of it. So yeah. she'll continue in some way with, with another new chappie or – They know she's popular, don't yeah, they? they you, just, I, yeah, they, she's they, fantastic. They've got the feedback, yeah. Um, yeah, she, she well, works very somebody well. is suggesting today, maybe it's TV Week or so, someone's saying maybe she could be the new Bachelorette. It doesn't look like she's going to find love <laughs> in the Married at First Sight apartment block, yeah, does it? Well, that, that could work. Um, for mine, My Kitchen Rules works best in those home the home kitchens, when it goes into that kitchen HQ. Yeah. I'm sorry, it's just dead boring to yeah. me. I can't, yeah. You know, I can sit through those home kitchens because it's sort of interesting. You see how they decorate, how they build their menus, but it's just too sterile. In well, there's two things to say about that. The first is that I've been reading that if it's not the person's home, that they mm. should declare it. Okay. That they're faking that sometimes. The other thing, too, is that is it correct to say, as someone that hasn't watched MKR since it first began all those years ago, do they have like sort of two sets of judges? So Manu and Pete go out and do this team, the first round of team. Yes. And then it looked to me like the second round of teams was the being done by... The third round of teams is the guest judges. Who's now Colin, Darren Robertson. Yeah, and Colin Fastnich. Colin Fastnich, yeah, yep. right. Um, yeah, look, that's obviously not as hot a combo as Pete and Manu. Yeah. Regarding the fake kitchens, nah, I don't care. Yeah, right. You know? As long I don't, as it I don't good. really. Yeah, yeah, I don't care if it's not their home. Yeah, you know. Yeah, just that it's a home. That's right. Yeah, and yeah, they're yeah. pretending it's theirs. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know. Well, let's face it. Everyone on reality TV is pretending something, aren't they? Yeah. There's there's yeah, a lot know. of um, control. I can see why you'd say, "Yeah, I'd like to know." It was not really that, but yeah, again, you know. Yeah. 
it's not going to stop my enjoyment of it at no, all. No, exactly. So, yeah, you know, doesn't really bother me. It yeah. doesn't really bother me. <laughs> um, but I think it's still got a long way to go. MKR. Yeah, it's certainly. You know, I wouldn't want to be jumping on any bandwagon saying, "Oh, it's all over." No, because these not other at shows all. are going to finish, and this will keep going. And I wouldn't be surprised if something happens and there's a few big audiences still to come. Sure, Seven will look at, okay, how, what can we do to make sure it doesn't soften again at the start of next year? But yeah. it's far from a dead franchise. Oh, God, no. And there, there, there's no um, – there's no one needs to be uh, throwing a knife at anyone on that team. They've done amazing no. to have yes. been this big for so long. Yeah. But when you're number one for eight years, you can't be number one forever. At a certain point – the viewers go, we're getting a bit same old, same old here. Everything that's happening to MKR now is just inevitable. Yeah. That's all that's going on here. You can't be number one forever. Yeah, for sure. But at the same time, it's accolades to Absolutely. the people that married Endemol Shy in Australia for what they've done Correct. to the format, you know. Yeah. But then again, the pressure's on them. They'll need to step up again. And start to do it, you know, year on year. Well, applications are open now. If you know a 20-something or, a, well, at any age, actually, you know, they got... But it's just you wonder, though, don't you? You look at those people, do they really know what they're signing up for? That they're actually going to be married, in inverted commas, to somebody and have to act like a married couple? My, theory, my theory is that 99% of the population, James, wants to be on TV for something. And they don't care whether they're, they're portrayed as a bitch or an idiot or whatever. As long as they can say, I've been on TV, that's the cachet, that's the prize. Yes. Andy Warhol said it himself, everybody wants their 15 minutes of fame. Reality TV can give you that. Hours after we record this uh, podcast, we will find out who's won I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Yep. Um, I think 10 would think it's been quite successful this year. The numbers are up all people year on year. Yep. Not sure they'd look in the key demos, but but ten saying, look, they're up all people. So as long as they've got something to hang their hat on, yeah, I think they'd be pretty successful with it. Uh, I, I think it's done well from what initially looked like a pretty dud bunch of competitors. Sure did. Yeah. Some of them have sort of come out okay. Well, there's been some real surprise packages there. I think I think. The biggest surprise for me is, as an occasional viewer, I used to watch the show religiously. I haven't this season. The biggest surprise package for me is Casey Donovan, the personality behind her. I mean, she was such a troubled soul when she went into it. I mean, I actually looked at her and Zipporah when they both went in and went, oh, my God, what are you doing putting these troubled women in there? Is there going to be some sort of support network for them? But, I mean... Casey Donovan has really, her personality has really shone through. And I think celebrity reality shows are never better than when you get to see the real person behind the star. And you can't fake it after, you know, how many weeks in the jungle with no food and not sleeping properly in those camp beds. I think you see the real people there. And I think she has been, she has been a real surprise package and good on her for, for, for doing that. Yeah, I mean, I've argued before that it's often the people you you wouldn't think of as being good on these TV shows yeah. that stand out, and I think this yeah. series has been a good example of that, you know. Except uh, for Tom Arnold, maybe. <laughs> but he's, <laughs> he's contributed in his own special way, though, hasn't he, by being a, a little bit of a car crash, yeah. threatening illegal action, yeah. the other contestants saying, oh, he was a nightmare, yeah. you know, didn't really miss him when he'd gone, you know, so he, he did... <laughs> He did deliver in a certain aspect. I suppose he has, but, um, yeah, I mean, 
It's probably a good job he left when he did. Absolutely. I I don't think that he brought anything to that show. Mm. I just don't get why anyone thought that he was a good idea. I... Could it be that stuff he knew about Trump? Were they hoping that he was going to deliver some bombshell that might get them an international headline? That's the only reason I could see why anyone would be paying attention to Tom Arnold after all these years. He's When you say the show Roseanne, people don't go, oh, yeah, Tom Arnold was on that. They think Roseanne, John Goodman, Sarah Gilbert, who's now a host of The Talk. There's so many people associated with that Tom Arnold wasn't even a big US sitcom with his one US sitcom that he made. So I still question why they thought that was a good idea. Um, And I'm sure they're questioning themselves now with their legal threats and how much they were supposed to pay him and and all that stuff. Yeah, but look at, gee, even Roseanne, though, there's a generation now that that doesn't mean anything to them, does it? It's a long while ago. Yeah. And she hasn't really set the world alight since moving Mm. on from that show, has she? No, she hasn't. Mm. Not at all. Yeah. Um, the biggest loser was filling the um, 7.30pm vacuum. Yep. Or, or what's it called? Biggest loser? Transform. Transform, that's right. Um, I haven't seen much of this. Have you? Um... I've watched the first app. Okay. Well, first of all, great for 10 to do that. There's nothing worse than when 10 finish one of yeah, their yeah. franchises and they've got this That's dead air and they're... You know, and you just Jamie go, Oliver yeah. filling the slots or well, something. Such a disaster for them. Yeah. They're now going back to back and doing what seven and nine do. Good on them for finding that extra thing, and they're, they're, they're trying to squeeze every last drop out of this remaining franchise. It's really hard to say. Like, if you, what seems to be missing, and from what I'm gathering with the first episode of Transformed, is they are eschewing that what was a real spectacle, possible humiliation, where the, the, the obese person, sometimes morbidly obese, would have to strip down to their underwear, get on a set of scales. Now, I mean, that seems to have gone out the window. This seems to be a much gentler way of dealing with those people's weight and maybe a gentler way all around. I know they've added a psychologist to the mix there, which I think is important. It's not four teams, four trainers anymore. It's just two teams. Shannon Ponting remains. Michelle Bridges and Commander have gone. So they've got a new girl in there. Tiffany's gone as well. So they're simplifying the format. And nobody in that show is morbidly obese. Right. This is something where the person is overweight. And so maybe it's going to be more relatable out there in TV land. People can watch this for eight weeks and maybe be inspired so- by it. Maybe staying true to what they're saying, just transforming people's yeah. lives. But the thing that really um, resonates with viewers is that conflict between the competitors, isn't it? Do you have you seen much? I certainly about have seen that in that first episode. I've seen none of it in that first episode. That first episode is so you know it's it all becomes very samey once they have to jump on the kayaks and do some heavy exercise maybe for the first time in a long time for some Mm. of these people and so they go off kayaking and there's a lot of oh my god there's a shark in Sydney Harbour you come back from the commercial break it's a dolphin Mm. so you know (laughs) but I mean what we see there is just people struggling to to do that Mm. uh, physical activity Um, so I'm not seeing any tension yet but it's it's night one you're not going to in night one but I guess uh, they could work couldn't it just the watching how those people do transform their their physical yeah. being, which leads to transformation of their lives. But, um, gee, it could be a little bit dull, though, if there isn't any. I mean, I'm not suggesting there should be. No. But that's what does seem to be the, bring the crowds when you have those big 
character conflicts. And you know, I hate to say this, James, but some people have watched that show in the past for freak show value, <laughs> and they've liked that way in that humiliating. Yes, yes. Which you know, just well, used to make I don't think anybody's going to miss that. Well. A lot of people aren't going to miss that. No, you'd like and to I, think not. And I, yeah, yeah, I agree. It would be nice just if yeah. you could see some good news stories about people overcoming. Um, It'd be great if it look if it can do if it can uh, do better than the last series of This Biggest Loser, which did not do well for mm. ten two years ago. You know, hopefully, fingers crossed, yeah. something works. I like guess that. in numbers, it's got to do six ish, six hundreds. Yeah, you know, yeah. seven or eights would be nice. Yeah. Anything above five is probably maybe okay. If you're under five, it's yeah, it's bad news. Yeah, and I mean, it hit a series low back in that last series. It got us like three hundred. It went into the three hundreds. Okay. You know, it did really. It dipped in the middle really yes. badly there. Well, I think the lead in now, the project most nights at seven pm does between five and six. Yeah, good nights between six and seven. Yeah. So if it can just at least keep those numbers, maybe build slightly. And done, the other thing too is uh, I've forgotten what the other thing was, but I, it's it's funny. Now you come to say this, I'm thinking to myself, what a shame they hadn't been able to stretch out. I'm a celebrity grand final for three nights, so that this biggest the biggest loser could start on Wednesday night and not be up against Married at First Sight, because we see on a Wednesday night as soon as Married dips, my kitchen rule goes up, and so does Celebrity go up. But look, whatever. They're, they're in the schedule. They're going to give it a go tomorrow night and uh, good luck to them. Yeah. Was it ever in Oh, the- you know what? I, I know what I was going to say. I saw the first promo last night for MasterChef. So Ten's oh, okay. getting ready for that. So that will, sl- I assume, slide in after this biggest loser. Yes, yes. And um, a Matt Preston talking on the weekend, he said, somebody said, oh, how many outstanding chefs you reckon you've got? And he said, 24. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> You know, so, I mean, that's something that, you know, you could accuse maybe MKR of not having many, you know, red-hot people. I mean, they early in the uh, – it was Tyson and Tyson and somebody got the highest score ever on the that's show right. early in this season. Yep. But then, gee, this week they just narrowly escaped elimination Yeah, when they certainly weren't able to back up that um, – their performance, so you know, the the food hasn't been you know setting the world um, world's palates a tingling. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. it's you know which MasterChef really always delivers on. You know, so that's something that could have the edge over MKR this year. Yeah, yeah. So it'd be fascinating to see how it goes. A feud started yeah. this week on Showcase. I had massive problems last week. I couldn't get my media access to preview it, but it finally came through. On tell the us weekend. a little bit about some of the viewers would be interested now. Media. Critics yeah. can access di- all the networks have different systems for watching a preview. In the old days, they used to send out all the DVDs. Yeah. Discovery Channel still does that. Uh-huh. I don't know if there's many others who do. So, and this time it was using the Foxtel um, system to watch their new. Yeah, and it was the Fox America site. It's called, you know that that has previews for certain critics. And I guess what happens is if you don't use it for a certain amount of time, you fall off their radar. So I had to be. They didn't recognise okay. my credentials, so they had to reactivate me. But when they finally did, I got to watch three episodes of Feud back to back, and it is as I suspected going to be delicious. It premiered last night on Showcase. Did it figure yes. in the top twenty? In terms of ratings? I don't think so. I mean, it's very niche. Yes. You have yeah. to be I mean, a I was sort surprised of surprised it didn't do a little bit better. 
I mean, it's an amazing cast, Jessica Lange, Susan Sarandon, Judy Davis, but it's a very niche old Hollywood story about Betty Davis and Joan Crawford during the making of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. And, and the niche audience is going to love every minute of it, but, you know, is a young person going to watch Feud? I'd really wonder about that. Well, yeah, but young people aren't the only pers- people they monitor in um, TV ratings, Andrew, are they? Surely. Well, Brian Walsh you, said you that over want... 50s were still important to Foxtel. Well, they are. I think yeah. they are. I think they should be important to all. Um, you know, I'm just about at that milestone myself. <laughs> so I, I think um, just um, as I'm filling a bit of time here, I'm just looking. I was nearly all sport yesterday. The, yeah. um, the non-sport that rated well uh, on the weekend was uh, Real Housewives, even that was down a little bit, 71,000. Mm. I thought, mm, might have been hoping for a little bit more, the, the Arena Channel there. Ghostbusters, that uh, remake on um, premiere movies, Foxtel yep. did reasonably well. Oh, here we go. No, 42,000 for 42. Yeah, okay. so it made the top 20. All right, that's, so that's good. that's a pretty good effort. Yeah. Um, it, it might have really good word of mouth too. It was, del- it was you know, so funny and bitchy and, you know crazy you know in a way and i mean I've, I've i've read the book that's based on and you know so much of it happened in the public arena it's not like pe- people are making up what their private conversations are for the dramatic purposes but you know all that stuff that sort of went on on set in front of crew i mean it's it's that part of it's fairly accurate and it's pretty damn funny Oh, look, I thought it was just sensational. It's yeah. It's just easily going to be one of the best shows of the year. There's, yeah. There's going to be some pretty good stuff to push this probably out of the top five, I would have thought. Yeah. I don't know, crazy with predictions when it's we're only halfway through March. But, gee whiz, how good was it? Jessica Lang, Susan Sarandon. Wow. Just and I mean, they're play, they, they are icons and they're playing such right. iconic characters. Yeah. And yet, by the end... Particularly with Jessica Lange, I was like, oh, you are getting Joan Crawford down to a T now. I'm really starting to lose Jessica Lange. You become Joan Crawford. And every now and then Susan Sarandon delivered a line. It, w- it wasn't, you know, she still looked like Susan Sarandon sometimes, but every now and then she delivered a line and you just went, oh, no, actually, that's very Betty Davis. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing show. Scene stealer. Stanley Tucci as <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Jack Warner. How good was that? The, the, that the was hilarious. studio chief, wow. Oh, and the good news is he's in all eight episodes. Fantastic. So, so there's plenty more of him to come. And when, when he thumped, he, he, um, the film director Robert Aldrich was in there. Played by Alfred Molina. Oh, yeah, I want to come back to him in a yeah. minute too. But And he was trying to sell um, Jack Warner and the idea of, you know, was it, it was Joan Crawford that sued... Then. Betty Davis, Betty Davis had sued, sued years ago in the thirties to try and get out of a contract, and he blames her with sort of paving the way for actors and actresses being able to get out of their studio contracts. And he thumped his hands on the desk and he dropped the c word at the top of his voice, saying, "You know, that she's never coming back in here again." And didn't he say, "She gave me hemorrhoids? I'll show you if you like. I've yeah. still got proof." I yeah. mean, it's outrageous. And um, and spoiler alert, but at the end of the conversation. Um, Robert Aldrich says the magic word that gets him to finally reconsider and I will pay you first <laughs> yes. for, for the distribution of the and movie. And that's all true. That actually is what happened. Yes. You yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah, so that's one of – yeah, but Alfred Molina, look, he's one of my favourite actors, that guy. How good is he? He always plays a bit of an understated character. He's never a lead, really. Yeah. But he's just fantastic. Uh, the Robert Aldrich. And, uh, and Robert Aldrich has got a, a history of a really of a man's – 
movie director, you know, tough guy, yeah. you know, making really swashbuckling sort of macho movies. Yeah. And he didn't really come across as that sort of character. In no, this, he did didn't. He? Well, look, I guess it's because this show is having to portray him quite correctly as getting in touch with his feminine side because he's got two notoriously difficult leading ladies. So he's got to massage each one of them in a very, very particular way. And he goes a little bit further than massage every now and then, <laughs> shall I say. But yeah, it's, it's like he's not making a man's movie here. He has to behave and do and say things uh, to keep those women on side. Yeah. Um, Alfred Molina, look, I, I mentioned this the other week, Close to the Enemy, that uh, the BBC a series on um, BBC First. Yep. He had a, um, a supporting role in that. Just excellent again. And I just I looked up before we started the, a movie called An Education. Oh, a yeah. A Kerry Mulligan oh, movie. Oh, amazing movie. And I think he played her father yes. in that. It was like a teenage English coming of age thing yep. set in the 60s if yes my, it was geez, look, go and look that up that, that is, is a spectacular movie that is and so, education what a good film brilliant you know just and it sort of slipped by a little bit under the radar yeah I think when it Kerry came Mulligan out. amazing yeah, oh, just yeah, yeah she's a wonderful actress but this this film has just got so many good characters yep. in agreed it. so many people playing great little roles that yep. are, you know supporting um stuff Really good, Catherine Zeta Jones. Oh, was she really Olivia de Havilland? I, I, I didn't f- realize that till after I'd seen it. Yeah, no, I just didn't twig at all. Yeah, when I was watching it, and it was like, and then you've got Kathy Bates as Joan yes. Blondell. Yeah, she, and I thought when she first came out, I thought it was it Shelley Winters or was it Joan, <laughs> Joan it Blondell? It did look a bit Shelley Winters. It's like I was explaining to my friend. Okay, so Joan Blondell was in Greece. She's the woman in the cafe because you have to sort of explain those things you explain who these people were and how they're relevant to the story the Joan Blondell is right out of left field for me as is Olivia de Havilland but it's an interesting dramatic device to have a narrator yes telling and filling in that backdrop because this story of uh Joan and Bette isn't just about the making of the film it's all the stuff that went on before before the decades of fighting that these two leading women had been involved in and then they get to this point where neither of their careers are going well and they both realize they need each other to re-energize their own careers it's fascinating yeah yeah so look there's um look still uh, seven episodes to come so i'm uh, really looking forward to that how many episodes are there all up i think there's eight okay so i've got to the end of episode three and this isn't spoiling anything i've got the end of episode three and they've just finished making the film they've called rap Right. So, but I know from that there's still five episodes to go, but I know that some of the stuff that happens after that film is even more (laughs) insane than the shenanigans on set. So I just can't wait. Yes, wonderful stuff. Um, Delta Goodrum is still being um, promoted as in the new season of um, House Husband. Now, has she been on screen yet, Andrew? No, she has not. <laughs> and I sent that email to you yesterday suggesting, let's ask, where is yes. Delta? And sure enough, I picked up the new TV week today and they're asking the same thing because if you look at the full-page ads that have been running in TV week since this season of House Husband begins, Delta and Hugh Sheridan are up there front and centre as the new kids in town. We are now past the halfway point of House Husband. I'm sure it began six weeks ago or something, and there's still no sign of it. And yet every now and then when you get to the end of a House Husband episode and they say, and next week on the show, they do a flash of Delta Goodrum. They are leading the audience on a real tease with this. Oh, look, there's Delta. Maybe she's there next week, but she never is. I'm starting to wonder if she's going to be in even more than one episode at this rate. The... um 
Well, I can tell you, I think she'll definitely be in a few. I did a set visit briefly. Um, it's probably about September last year, and they were sort of in the middle of filming, and I got to see both of them, and they were sort of mucking around and hanging around the um, the sort of catering trucks and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I spoke to Hugh. She, I didn't really interview Del, but I went down there, made it uh, speak to Hugh, and he talked to I asked, said, look, because they were both singing a little bit as they were mucking around, I said, oh, any chance of a duet or anything, you know? And he said, oh, you never know, you know, Delta's uh, raised that subject, but I don't think anything ever happened along those lines. And Hugh actually is, has been over at... Um, he's, he's big on his music. He's got a band together and they've oh, been yeah. performing at the Adelaide uh, Festival, yeah, I think. The, the, yeah, Fringe right. Festival. Is that it? sounds, on yeah, that sounds right. In, in, it's on in March uh, every year over in Adelaide. So he's doing quite well there. Um, we also talked a little bit about how, how he sort of surfed the networks for his last few jobs, of course, made his name on seven in Pact of the Rafters. Yep. Uh, went to 10, not terribly successfully, for that... Uh, what, I will we, survive. I will survive. <laughs> and he talked a little bit about that, said, look, it was a job that he's... I think he said he did for mainly for his American agent because it was such good money. Right. Um, you know, he, he was a bit doubtful. Yeah. But he had nothing but uh, praise for the... the um, what was it? The opera the weird opera series they made on the ABC that yeah, ended up the, getting now what shown was that? out of ratings. It wasn't The Beautiful Lie. It was, oh, I can't remember what it was called. Yeah, it was called The Divorce, That's that, right. um, that ABC. Yeah, it was like a opera. It was over four nights, played out of survey, rated pretty poorly. You see, that's a bad title. Yeah. Who wants to watch a show about I know. The Divorce? And an opera. Oh, and yeah. an opera. Yeah. Suck him in for something else and then tell, make him think it's something else. But he thought, you know, he was pretty happy with it. He yeah. thought, you know, they did a good well, job. Hugh, well, Hugh is a real, you know, he loves the sort of the singing and the musical side of things. So I get why he would have enjoyed that project so much. My understanding of I Will Survive was that was one hell of a fun show to make, travelling across the yes. outback in the Priscilla bus. And, you know, that, you know, I, I talked to some of the crew members that were on there and, they, and they're still... You know, quite often when people are in television and the, the project is a failure and they get so upset about it, that, but then a couple of years down the track they can look back when they're removed from the bubble and go, yeah, that really was a bit of a heap of shit. But if you talk to someone that worked on I Will Survive now, they'll say, oh, my God, that was so much fun to make. Yes, it didn't really work in the ratings, but then at the same time nothing was really working on 10 during that really bad period they went through. Sure. You know, when they were trying yeah, George yeah, yeah. Negus at 6.30 and all that, they made some terrible, terrible decisions around then and I Will Survive was part of that. The Halcyon has been cancelled before it turns up on Australian TV screens. Uh, British period drama. Yep. Said by some to be the new um, Downton Abbey. It certainly has... <laughs> Not going to be the new Downton Abbey. I think it was headed for the ABC. Yeah. And um, but five, I guess we'll still get to see it here. But yeah, I guess we will. The Five Star Hotel in World War Two. I watched a couple of episodes of it. Um, I just find it really strange that the Brits are always in such a hurry to announce that they're axing a show. You know, they did it recently with Indian Summers, that Julie Walters show. You know, they get they barely get to the end of season two, and they're like, "That's it." We're, we're really, we loved it, but we feel there's no reason to go on with it. And I just think, whoa, 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 you could just leave that for a couple of months, couldn't you? And let it go off around the world. And because the moment they say the show's coming to an end, that just kills it for me in terms of, well, I don't need to watch this anymore, you know? Yeah. It's ITV, isn't it? It's ITV. And, and that's. That, you that's, think that's going to kill um, syndicated sales? 
big time, isn't it? It sort of does. I mean, I mean, if something's out there one season, it's this big, expensive new, could be the new Downton Abbey, oh, but it's been axed. Whoa, there's the downer. It's not the new Downton Abbey, is it? It goes against everything that they try to well, sell I, the show with. I guess there's production um, considerations, though. I suppose. That they've, you know, they should have... They should be well into season two, pre-production, maybe even filming, contractual agreements with the stars, yeah. techos or production, all that sort of stuff. They're in so. a real hurry to tell their, <laughs> their crew and cast, you're free, get another project here in Australia. We, we keep them hanging on forever, James. Yeah. Oh, maybe they'll go again, maybe they won't. But, I mean, yeah, I'm going to be less excited about... Not what you know. Oh, am I going to miss an episode? I'm not going to care now. So I think, no. oh, there's only a bunch, and of it them. ends with a cliffhanger. Then there's no more. Yeah, and we won't get to see that. Yeah. Um, something else coming back, or something coming back that's been very successful over a long period of time, unlike Halcyon, Wentworth. Yeah, they're running a quite a clever up. Uh, black and white promo at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, for they the new are. Season, and I think maybe it, they're repeating it somewhere on box sets or something. They're okay. giving viewers the chance to get back into it. All of the seasons, starting or? from season one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they're probably all there anyway on on demand. Probably aren't are. They? You know, I, probably are. I'm still a bit confused about that box sets and on demand because I've never gotten around to looking at it. It's too, there's too much, <laughs> too much choice these days, James. So anyway, have you seen? You've seen yes. the first step. I've watched the first episode. Now, the first episode in colour. Five. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, and there's no plot spoilers. I'm not saying, but B. Smith really is dead. I mean, the first okay. episode is the fallout from there, and then it starts, as you would expect, with Wentworth spinning off in a, a different direction. Um, look, it's still as strong and still as fascinating as ever. I mean, that first episode is very much about, it's very grief-stricken as everybody has to deal with B. Smith's uh, death, but you know some really interesting moves from the new top dog that's taken over in her absence. Okay. Um, Pamela Rabe's still in there as uh, Joan Ferguson, and everyone's still shit scared of her as they should be. <laughs> and some other really interesting character directions going on there. I, th- I think the fans will be really, really excited about where the show's heading. Yeah, it's one of the long-term successes, of course, for uh, Foxtel. Um, another. A little segue here, Australian drama series that was very successful. Number 96, how many seasons did that run for? Well, number 96 ran for five years. Right, okay. But tomorrow, March the 13th, will be the 45th anniversary of The Night It Began, which, you know, was infamously uh, referred to by Tom Greer, the legendary Channel 10 publicist, as the night television loses its virginity. (laughs) And that black and white, those newspaper ads they ran were so controversial. Here in Sydney, one of the newspapers said, we're not printing that, and they wrote, you know... Tonight, Australian television loses its innocence. But now, 45 years later, we refer to it as the night Australian TV lost its virginity. And tomorrow night, there's actually uh, the launch of a new a book about number 96, which is not the first by any means. I mean, I included a, a massive chapter in my book. It was the inspiration for me to write Super Aussie Soaps, you know, all those years ago. Yeah. David Sal, the creator of the show, has written a bio called... Mavis Bram- number 96, Mavis Bramston and Me, in which he's told his story. So this new author, Ni- Nigel Joles, who I know very well, I've you know been friends with him for a long time as a fellow number 96 devotee, he's done something really unique. Not only has he published this book through a crowdfunding scheme 
called Posible, P-O-Z-I-B-L-E, in which you have to raise a certain amount of money. And if you don't make it, you lose all that money. Everyone's just given their money. Do you know what sort of amount you need for a book publishing? (sighs) It was... Substantial? It was a couple. It was several thousand. thousand. Anyway, he got the money for it. And his, his book's really interesting because what he's done is he's interviewed many of the cast and crew over the years and done a lot of audio histories for the National Film, Film and Sound Archives. Okay. And what he's done is he's letting everybody tell the story themselves. So it's direct quotes from all of these people and he has amassed some incredible photos and the merchandising that went on with this show and, you know, I think I know everything about number 96, but one of the interesting things I've learnt through reading this book is that a New York, could have been the New York Times, but a New York newspaper did a survey back in the 70s and researched ratings based on population. And per capita, number 96 was the most successful television show in the world with its ratings. And we know this. We know that it got these world firsts in terms of um, the first ever gay character, the first ever transgender character played by Carlotta, all these firsts and everything. We know that it also created the what is used now as the first ever five nights a week primetime soap in the world and that their production model that they invented back then was, is still being pretty much used today by Neighbours and Home and Away. But to actually read, though, and you tell people this show was phenomenally popular, to actually discover now that it was also the highest-rated TV show in the world at that time. And you, you, that's why 45 years later we're still talking about it. If you grew up in the 70s, this show was monumental. Five nights a week, 8.30pm every night in suburban lounge rooms. Um, a lot of kids in Australia not being allowed to watch it, but hearing about these sexy going-ons from their friends next day. You, you, you had to find that kid at school that was allowed to watch it. <laughs> Everybody was talking about this show, and they're still talking about it, some of us today. Yeah, so look, it's number 96. Uh, Nigel Giles is the name of the author, and yeah. you should be able to get that in most bookstores, or you yeah. can certainly order it online. And, and it's a very nice production. We've had a flick through it before, and they've, they've done a great job they've on the They've done a design. really great job, yeah. The, uh, yeah, the, the illustrations that he's collected in there, the, as you say, the memorabilia, the posters, the TV ads, it's just incredible, the And stuff. there's quite a lineup of people coming tomorrow night, you know, that so many of the cast have now passed on, but, you know, a lot of the remaining cast members are coming tomorrow, including Carlotta, okay. who was famously pretty much kept away from the rest of the cast so they could keep her true identity a secret and really shock people. Um, Patrick Ward, who was in the, the movie. Um, there's, I'm looking at the website of who's coming. Uh, you know, a lot of remaining cast members are, are coming out to go to this launch tomorrow. And I won't get into it now, but we've talked before about how, you know, producers could look at the success number 96 had and take some learnings from it, you know, yeah. by what attracted people to that show. I just don't think there's a lot of shows on here now that, I don't know, just treat the audience with the same way 96 treated their audience. Just the reality, the, um, you know, they didn't sort of gloss over stuff. And, you know, we've seen where people have done that here. And I think of things like Underbelly, first few seasons of Underbelly, Mm. uh, that really engaged an audience because it just showed stuff like it is. You know, so much stuff on TV, it's just, you know... The, Look, it's bland, The, the scene's James. cut before yeah. the action happens or the camera turns away and you've just got to imagine and, you know, you think, well, 
the thing about this is that the writing, they created characters mm. and those characters sometimes had a certain wardrobe. They also had a signature expression. It was very vaudevillian. Um, they, it was ethnically diverse. It was sexually diverse. They were characters that arrived really well thought out before they walked into the show for the first time. And that's what I don't think we see on TV today. We see people living in these amazing art-decorated sets. Homogenised. Lives Very homogenised. All, all the girls bland. have the same hairstyle. Mm. There's a real blandness. But then you go back to the characters of number 96 and the reason people can still remember that there was Dory, Herb and Flo and, you know, Norma who ran the wine bar is because, Abigail. you know, that would it was just really Joe, stood out yeah. from the pack, you yeah, know? Absolutely, absolutely. There's a lot of lessons to be learned if people working on shows today can create characters. It, yeah. it, it goes for, it counts for a lot. Well, a couple of things I've got. Um, Law and Order, you talked about... 10 experimenting with their Saturday nights. I think they're doing it again. They are. Uh, the end of this week, Law and Order, the new season's coming back on a Saturday night, which I is noticed a, that. a pretty um, almost risky move to me because it looks like it's going to follow a movie. So that means it's sort of going to be on a slightly different time. And by the way, Saturday those movies night, it's going to follow are going to be very family orientated because they want to compete with Seven and Nine who do that at 6.30, 7 o'clock. And you're going to go from your family movie into... You know, Law and Order, what's it called? Special Victims? SVU, yeah. SVU, Special, Special Victims, Victims Unit. Unit. Every time I watch SVU, it's a really ghastly sexual crime. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. really full on. I find it quite disturbing. Yes. Um, and women constantly being uh, put in these really horrible sexual situations. Uh, I don't think that's a great fit myself. No, look, season 18, if you're a fan, um, yeah, but I think it's it's risky, you know. But again, at the same time, it is nice to see them Something experimenting different. with their yep. Saturday nights. Yep, but, keep trying. But maybe a, a slightly different lead-in. Um, speaking of advance warning, Game of Thrones, uh, you've got till July 17 to uh, get your <laughs> calendar in order. Okay, you'll good. you be able to devote uh, an hour a week to the new season of Game of Thrones. Again, screening um, during the day as it goes to air in the US, yep. which I think has been about 11am from memory. Yeah, around there. And then it repeated again that yep. night. Um, and that'll be on Showcase, which is the home of HBO. This one is an HBO, but it probably could be Vikings. Um, yeah. Finally wrapped up last week. Uh, episode, I think there's 20 episodes in season four. And at the very end of the episode, they previewed season five. Did they? Which I also think is going to be another 20 episodes. Wow. And the creator, um, Michael Hurst, said recently he thinks there's two more seasons left in it. So okay. that would be the penultimate season. And I think the SBS pull-through at the bottom said, coming soon. So I'm, I, I've got a feeling they might have filmed it because they had a bit of footage too okay. in the trailer that's been released. So, And the, the big surprise there for me was uh, Jonathan Rhys Myers turning up as uh, Bishop, I think, Helmund. Um, How's he looking, James? Well, he's still looking very handsome. Oh, he looking does. A bit... He looks amazing, but okay, he's going good. to play a pretty ruthless bishop. Right. And the trailer showed, you know, he loves wielding his sword, but, but he, he's a ladies' man as well. What? And he's into a bit of uh, a bit of rough trade. So um, 
you know, it was pretty full on, um, as you would expect with Vikings. Yep. Pretty full on trailer. So yep. his character development is just going to be fascinating through these uh, these next seasons. Do I, you watch um, Vikings on SBS? I do. Did yep. do the ad breaks? Is the show made for ad breaks? No, do you feel like they're inserting ads in? It does feel a in? bit of a yeah, because often there's a very poignant scene right that lingers. Yep. And in the show itself, then it cuts to. And then here they go to an ad and right. it does break the... Um, because I'm wondering how Game of Thrones is going to go with enforced ad breaks there because I'm noticing when I watch a, a half-hour HBO show on Showcase that there are two ad breaks in it now, which never used to be there. Yeah. I mean, oh, you, during that 30 minutes? Yeah. You watch, They're still not breaking up their hour shows though, are they? Well, I don't know that. I must have... Did I watch? Lies. I had feud on in the background for the second time. It, was there there's an no ad break in, during feud, no. feud well, last night? I no, don't there's think no there was. You're world. right. Huh? There wasn't. I don't think no, so. No, I'm pretty sure there wasn't. I was watching it for the second time in the background as I did other things. But, you know, if you watch um, Divorce with Sarah Jessica Parker or High Maintenance, one of those HBO shows, there are two really? ad breaks in there. And I know that they two don't... Two separate ad breaks. Two separate oh, wow. ad breaks in yeah. a HBO half-hour sitcom to bring that out. And I think, guys, come on. <laughs> this, is, this is not the way in today's age to be sticking two ad breaks into a HBO sitcom when we know that that's airing in America with no ad, ad breaks. Mm. Yeah, but look, I, I love the season finale of Vikings. It was fantastic. Gee, we lost some big characters in that season, though. Travis, Travis Fimmel and Lisa Sutherland, both great Aussie actors. Yep. Who played King and Queen at one stage in the show. They both died. Maud Hurst, who played a Helga, who was the who was the I think the partner or wife of Flocky? Right. Who's been every every episode ever? She she um, was stabbed by sort of an adopted daughter. She um, took on, and she's interestingly the daughter of the creator Michael Hurst. Wow. Okay. And his other daughter's also in the show, but I won't get into all that. Linus Roach also departed. Who was King Eckbert? Yeah. He did a great job. He was wow. Okay. A really good role. Lionel Rose. Linus Lionel, Roach. Linus Roach. The son of great uh, Bill Roach, who's been playing. Uh, Ken in Coronation Street oh, since okay. 1960. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's, yeah. Been, he's had a role in Coronation Street. Yeah, too, he I has too. So, he yeah. played his the son of his real life dad. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. But uh, look, a great actor. He, he did a really good job. So yeah, it was just an, an organised. So I only realised today I was checking through some of the castings. Um, Roman Polanski's daughter has been in um, in Vikings as well, which I didn't realise. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, very, uh, very intriguing cast, and look, it's been really brutal. Some of the stuff the the show ended with the Vikings ransacking some oh. some places in the UK. Was there again. raping and pillaging? Um, no pillaging, not so much raping. <laughs> yeah, but because um, that's really what the show started with back yeah. in the, the first, and I think it was probably the second episode the big pillage came on. But they were certainly preparing it yeah. in the first episode, and I remember thinking, "Then, my lord, this is so shocking and confronting." Yeah, but sort of strange compelling and they haven't let up you know some of the stuff was really full on I think in one of those final episodes they were basting somebody <laughs> to, to, to try and get you know like you put a pig on a spit yeah this guy was on a spit as they tortured trying to get information out of him and you know I was watching at home someone walks into the room they go Whoa, what are you watching what sort of sicko entertainment have you got on I'm going you're seeing it out of context yeah and they're going what possible context 
Could there be for that sort of stuff? <laughs> That's hilarious. But, uh, but it's really good. Um, SBS On Demand, I wanted to mention, have I mentioned before Midnight Sun? I think I might have. Yeah, well, see, they have been, they aired that. They, they did, yeah. They aired, I watched it on On Demand right, okay, over the yeah. summer. Yeah. I watched it all back to back and then I noticed it went to air. Yeah, and, yeah well, I, was... I watched it on that. Well, I recorded them and put them on and they did them as four two-parters. Right, okay. Which is a bit of a daunting way to tackle it because it's pretty heavy and you've really got to, I ended up watching the final two hours twice yeah. just to make sure I had a good grip on it. But yeah. it, look, it's fascinating. Stuff. Yeah, it was look and gee, where's the body count in that? Oh. <laughs> All those Scandi noir things—they kill. They're killing people left, right, and centre. It was incredible. But the very last quote of the, the show, which I loved, was that you know life is precious, yeah. which was sort of in a way explaining you know the they were trying to get to the bottom of the the serious crimes that were being committed, but yeah. because you know life is precious, but. Yeah, but to show off why it's precious, they sort of reinforced that. Yeah, how easy it is to go, and as they. But no, it was a great show, wasn't it? Joe? I loved yeah. all that weird sort of indigenous stuff in there. Yeah, with, and you the know, filming them. was just wonderful. Oh, the spectacular! There, wasn't it amazing? Spectacular, Iceland, right? But there was there's a I, I the reason I mentioned that there's another I think it's called Dicta. D-I-C-T-E. Right. There's a new on-demand... Uh, there's three seasons of this show. It's another sort of Scandi noir thing. Yep. Uh, which they're starting to promote. Yep. So uh, that looks really good, and there's another one I'll be able to get into. Uh, that's a, And we've talked before about what an amazing asset SBS On Demand is. And amazing. They got, got a new uh, managing director last week, was appointed too. Yep. So, you know, we could see that even develop a little bit more. Um, and it sort of flies, up, flies under the radar a bit. It does, I feel like yeah. people talk about iView, but they don't realise this great con- – if you go looking on SBS On oh, Demand, there's some really interesting content the movie that nobody else has. We've talked about the movie collection Amazing. too. It's staggering, you know. And they're not all just um, – there's great Hollywood stuff. They're yeah. not all just sort of European art house no. stuff. There's just they, stuff they, they pull nutty sort of cult films out from yeah. the past. A lot of them screen on SBS Viceland and SBS. Yeah. And some and of them – they're really interesting titles. Yeah, some of them not even so cult. It's quite a bit of mainstream yeah. stuff. You know, Academy Award winners and quite films that have, you know, had a significant box office presence. And too. stuff that hasn't been done to death on other TV yeah, channels exactly. too. That's, They're pulling yeah. stuff out of the vault, which I really like. Yes, yeah, things that really deserve a, a, yeah. a, another look. I haven't been on Netflix lately, and I was reading a little bit about some of their K-pop dramas. K-pop? Yeah, they call them K-pop. It's like um, Korean soap operas, pop oh, really? operas or whatever, stuff like that. So, yeah, apparently there's a whole swag of it. Okay. Yeah. So I think uh, there's been a big fight for um, SVOD, well, as there are in all territories, but in yeah. Asia in particular. Yep. I know iFlix, iFlix is quite big in Asia and it's been expanding across all markets. And um, uh, Korea is a very big market if you can get it right. Yeah. And I think Netflix has spent quite a bit of money on local content there. Yeah, right. So there's some, apparently some very interesting stuff to, to, to see online. So I'm sort of intrigued to get up and have a little look at that. And before we wrap this week, too, Andrew, I wanted to talk about um, Good Little Lies. Big Little Big Lies. Little, Big yeah. Little Lies. I keep getting that name wrong. But gee whiz, how good it is. I'm, oh. up, I'm three episodes in now, I think. And yeah. Gee, what, what, it's just incredible. It's so beautiful. To me, to that's watch. everything. Yes. Lives up to all the hype. Whereas yes. for me, was it This, this Is Us? Yeah. Uh, um, isn't quite there. It's okay, but to me it doesn't live up to the hype in the same way Big Little Lies. No, it's, it's true. And they're, they're very – it's interesting to compare them. But, yeah, you know, it's just 
there's I'm really digging the music in Big oh, Little Lies too. Yeah. There was this moment in the episode last week where the the mothers and their kids were going hired a limousine to go off to Disney and Iceland's were singing this Fleetwood Mac Fleetwood song. Mac. Yeah. And it just worked so well. There was no real no reason for there except to show the bonds between them. But there's this there's this soundtrack that drives it through there. And James, how amazing is Reese Witherspoon in it? <laughs> Just she owns that show. Oh, she? does she ever? It's her program. Yep. It's just, yep. And it's not just the role she's got. That helps. No, that's but true. But she, she is just dominating. She's, she's amazing turn, in it. turning it on big time yeah. as if it was almost an, an acting reality competition show. Yes. And she's just, you know, whoa. She dominates the story. She dominates the performances. Her character... And, you know, they keep referring back to her character, that her character is the dominating one, but she really does. Yeah, yeah. The the other thing I'm liking is the kids. How good are the oh. kids in it? They're almost too good, aren't they? It's like central casting. Now, that little <laughs> really boy delivered. who's playing Shailene Woodley's son, uh-huh. Ziggy, he has been cast as the new Sheldon in the Big Bang Theory prequel. Oh, my Lord. Now, you look at him and you go, he doesn't look anything like Sheldon. I don't see nerd. But that kid is amazing and he's going to be able to do it because I reckon he could do anything. Yeah. Yeah, and all all the girls They're all incredible. I mean, all the kids in that are Um, Incredible kid casting. Nicole Kidman, gee, I'm I'm just not sure about her in this. Is it... I mean, she's either doing that role very well or she's just not... She's just being too, I don't know, too Look, laid there's, back. There's always a coldness to Nicole. And when I watched it the first week, I was like, mm. And then on the second week, you learn this thing about her character and you go, okay, I get why you may be acting that way. But then by week three again, I was like going... It, it's, it feels like she's holding back. Hmm. Like, I don't feel that... I don't know. It's just... I guess I'm finding her the least believable in it. I'm believing that Shailene Woodley's character and Reese Witherspoon characters are friends. Whenever Nicole's in there, I feel like she's not really in the circle, that she's playing this kind of cool, detached thing that works for the character but doesn't work when she needs to be part of that circle of mothers. Yeah. Yeah, And just mentioning too again on the soundtrack, there was a Neil Young song playing, I think, when Nicole and her husband were sort of arrived back home after the counselling, I yeah, think, yeah. at the end of that third episode. But I, the thing I really made me sit up and think, well, maybe Nicole is turning it on when she has to, was her facial expressions when her husband was talking to the counsellor during their yeah. um, marriage, what do you call it, marriage counselling. Yeah. And the expressions on her face, I thought, oh, this is, she was really clever, you know. Yeah. And she sort of turned it on a bit then. I'm not saying but, she's a bad actress. She's still doing a great role. It's just that cool detached thing that she's known for which works for that character sometimes it just for me it's removing her a little bit back from what everything else that's going on because look at laura dern i mean every time laura dern's on screen she steals it as well she's she's right up there with reese she's in it a lot less Mm. but when she's on screen whoa she ain't wasting a minute i know gee that the the interaction between those two stunning It's just spectacular. And then, but they they fight like cats and dogs. But when they have to sort of, they think there might be something to be gained from being a bit more friendly. They're suddenly, yeah. oh, hello. Yeah. <laughs> 
they'll they'll be up for a deal, you know. Yeah, it's it's incredible stuff. No, very good. Some great TV on now to watch. It really is. Look, again. before we wrap up this week, give us a little update on your um, cinema exploits. At um, now, is it Southwest Rocks? Southwest Roxy. So it's South- the Roxy. It's the yeah, play on but, name. But at Southwest South Rocks. Southwest right? Rocks. Yeah, yep, which okay. is uh, halfway between Sydney and Brisbane. Uh-huh. You know, an hour north of Port Macquarie. So I reopen on Thursday, March the twenty third, um, with a new movie, Beauty and the Beast, the Disney film, which is going to be a smash hit. So mm-hmm. I, I'm sure I haven't made the right decision there. I'm also lucky I've got this backlog of films because it's been shut for a month, so I can put Lion in, which has just become the fifth highest grossing Australian movie of all time. So the word on ma- word of mouth is still incredible. It's still sure. climbing. Yep. Um, and plus I'll have Moonlight, this year's best movie at the Academy Would Awards. Would Lion have been screened there already? No, Lion oh, had really? not screened oh, there okay. before. Wow. Um, there was a situation there where the the uh, that cinema didn't deal with that sure. production okay. uh, distributor. I'm happy. I'm a new guy. I can come in and restart that. So I'm, I've got a backlog of films to choose. So I've got two weeks of a soft opening and then I hit Easter two weeks full on kids in town. So then I'm doing all the kids films, Lego Batman movie okay. and Peppa Pig's Australian That's Adventure. Fantastic. And I'm, I, I, you know, I want to get Jasper Jones in and Dance Academy, the two Australian films that'll be around for kids there. So yeah, it's, I appear very calm to you now, James. But when I leave here, you know, I'm checking my emails, I'm making yeah, calls. There's sure. still a zillion things to do. A couple of things. Tell me, is there what are the is there a big blockbuster for Easter or anything? Let's... I think the big blockbuster well, is going be to be Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast will still be strong. Lego Batman's we know is working. It's going to be a blockbuster. I'm also going to have uh, Boss Baby from Fox, okay. which is Alec Baldwin voicing. And I've watched the trailer. It's a 3D. <laughs> computer animated thing and the trailer's funny and I go you know what that kids film is that's going to pull them in from every yeah. place I as mean well. you've always been a massive movie buff but I bet you're taking even more interest I tell you what I'm watching moment, a trailer really looking at the in fine a whole detail. new light now yeah <laughs> and tell me are movie posters still a thing and yeah they're important to, to help get word out and stuff like that there especially is, in the area you are I'm guessing yeah it's a small country town and they've got one big shopping centre and in the middle of this shopping centre is our posters, a four-sided display, and I'm very disturbed to have taken that over and get a letter back from the shopping centre saying, oh, yeah, look, we're thinking of changing that. Um, We've got this – we're going to send you this new area of putting you off with the community notice board. And, of course, I just went, ah, no, thanks, because I saw where the community notice board is now. It's on the way to the toilets. You know, Mm. if you're going to have a big thing like that, I want it there. So that's something I've got to sort out when I get up there. I'm disturbed to see. Well, I guess you could say this is a community service that people want to see, you know. It's it's an entertainment destination in the shopping centre almost to see what big Hollywood productions you've got. That's right. And, you know, the glamorous way they do the uh, poster artwork. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be down an alleyway with the community notice board. That's not what you're paying the money for for that space. So, But that's something I've, I've got a, a, a lot of things like that to organise. And this uh, week, I'm going up early, we are installing a new operating system for me because, you know, it's my first time running a cinema. And the previous system that was there, I, ju- I just found it really daunting. It was really complicated. And if you've worked in cinemas a long time, you'd get your head around it. But as a first-time user, I need and I'm going to get something that's that they use at the big multiplexes so the 16-year-old okay. in the candy bar can operate it. <laughs> it's a drag-drop 
play. Yeah. That's what I need. And I need to do that. I need to make that side of it really easy because I've got to be using FPOS for the first time. I've got a ticketing system that needs to be installed. I've got a whole accounting. Deep in the chop tops. I've got to do all that. I've got to do all that. Uh, so, yeah, that side of the business screening the films has to be really simple. Fascinating. Look, I can't wait to get up there myself, and I'm going to make sure that happens sooner rather than later. Thanks, and James. I think next time we talk, we'll be able to talk about your first week. I will. Perhaps, I will. Yeah. The next time we do a podcast, I'll have done the first week of screening. Fascinating. Uh, Andrew Mercado, as always, thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you, James. Media Week. Don't forget, you can check out all our podcasts at mediaweek.com.au. Click on the podcast tab or just go to iTunes and search Media Week. We'll see you next time.